0: Hello, beautiful humans. This is Alicia from Ethical Wellness Programs, and you are listening to the Heal in Motherhood Podcast, the show that combines the science of the mind body connection and trauma research, along with spiritual teachings and practical tools to help women heal their lives from the inside out and reclaim their inner goddess. While showing up as the person, parent, and and partner they came here to be if you like what you hear on today's show please don't forget to leave us a review on the itunes podcast app so that we can grow our community and impact as many women's lives as possible welcome everybody thank you for being here and today we have mushka on the show and mushka is a mother of three boys all under the age of five And she is super passionate about helping mothers reframe their perspective on motherhood so they can show up as the parent they came here to be. Welcome, Mushka. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is
1: going to be fun. I'm
0: excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. So we met through our entrepreneurs program that we're on, and I really loved how you were speaking about parenting with purpose. So parenting with more intention. And I feel like that's so important in our modern world because we've all become very unconscious and we have this idea, I think, that parenting is meant to just be natural and easy and you're just going to know how to do it and you can do it with the brain switched off on autopilot. But as we all go deeper into our journeys, we realize that isn't always the case. And we do need to be more intentional and parent on purpose with our children. So I'd really love to hear about how you started on your journey with your parenting on purpose journey.
1: Okay. It's funny because I didn't ever think that I would be a good mother. I don't know why. I'm a great teacher. I like. As kids, we used to play school. Like me and my sisters, we didn't play like mommy and dollhouse. We played school, like teacher and student. And we were all just like born teachers. And I love teaching and I always worked with kids of all ages. I just didn't think I'd be a good mother. I don't know what I thought it would entail, but I was like, whatever it is, I don't have it. So like you were saying, people think they'll know how to do it. Like this illusion or maybe like this delusion of like having like a maternal instinct and then like naturally, and people would say like, oh, you're just going to know what to do when you have a baby. And I was like, I don't think that will happen. And if I don't think that will happen, I'm going to have to learn how to do it. I'm the third oldest of seven children. I'm I'm the older generation amongst my cousins. So I had plenty of experience with kids and babies. I wasn't like scared to change a diaper. I just felt like there has to be a method. Like there must be a way to be doing this. And I'm going to just learn it from the books. But mostly because I felt like I didn't have it in me. Like it wouldn't come naturally to me. And then there was also just like I was seeing like the parenting that I was raised with and the parenting that was around me. It wasn't like terrible. It was just maybe like old school. And I was like, there must be something like, I'm a very innovative person. Like my classroom is always very innovative, like very, you know, cutting edge methods, whatever the educational methods were. So I was like, there must be cutting edge parenting. I just need to know what it is. So I just decided to teach myself from books. (laughs) And so that's kind of what I did. I just didn't assume that I knew anything. And so it really came with like humility. Like, I don't think I have answers. Not that people in the books are the experts, but that like, let me see what all the information is out there. And like, let me see what works, what feels true to me. Cause I did always have like very strong instinct. Like I, like it felt instinctively, like I don't agree with, let's say this method or this, like what's going around me. Like I'm going to do it differently. I just didn't know how to do it differently. So I was like, I'm going to learn it. So yeah, I approached it very like logically or like methodically almost.
0: <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of people maybe, Don't approach it in that way. And maybe this is why they do get stuck in their struggle. Because a lot of people, you know, we have this idea that, you know, parenting doesn't come with a manual. And this is what we're told a lot as well is, you know, no one knows how to parent. It doesn't come with a manual. But like you said, there are a lot of resources and there's a lot of books and research out there that we can gather. As mothers and listen and read and learn about mothering and parenting is a skill. It's something that we learn to do. It's not, we are told this myth that, you know, like you said, know how to naturally do all the things and know what your child always needs and know the best solution. But that's not always true. So I feel like reading the books like you have and approaching it from this more logical perspective. And then you've got all the knowledge. And then, like you said, you can decide which things feel good for you, which things do you lean more towards, and also the parent child relationship as well, right? So there's another human being in part of our parenting. It's not just like what we want and what we're going to do and how we're going to do things. We also have to take into consideration that we have another human there with us, you know, and they've got their own ideas of how they are going to be parented. (laughs) So yeah, it's definitely a relationship. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, it's a different dynamic. And a lot of the time as well, I feel like in relationships, if we don't necessarily get along with the person or we're not vibing that person, we can walk away or we can not be (laughs) friends with that person. But if that happens to be your child, you've got a bit of a different situation, you know? You have to tough it out. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Going back to the first point you said just about having to learn it. I always think of it as like, you You don't, no one thinks that they're expect. Like no one thinks that they're going to know how to drive. Everyone knows that you have to take a road test and you have to pass the test and then you have to put in the practice hours. And now there are some people that may be better drivers than others because they're I don't know, they're better at hand-eye coordination or they have better like reflexes or maybe they grew up like driving all the time, like sitting in the front passenger seat or something. But most people like have to take a test and then some people end up in life as better drivers or as worse drivers based on how much experience you have. But then also like you can't learn from the book. Like you actually do have, like you can't just take the test and then think you're going to know how to drive. You actually have to put in the practice and you have to put in the hours. How do we think that like you're going to have a baby and you're just going to know what to do? Like that's not going to happen. Like you spent minimum six hours studying for your license test and how many hours did you spend studying to prepare to become a mother? Like you probably spent more hours Googling the crib and the nursery decor than you did like actual, you know, attachment or even things like how to establish a nursing relationship or things like that. You know, like you said, like mothering is a skill, like it's a verb. You can do it. You can get better at it. And at the same time, you have to make it yours. And you have to, like you said, there's another child in the relationship and you can't just like follow, oh, well, the book said this because like your baby didn't read the book. (laughs) The book said my baby should be sleeping from three to 4 p.m. Like your baby didn't read the book. So if it's a book that's telling you what to do, it's not going to work. But if it's a book that explains to you, like, let's say, well, here's like, or like I'm very attachment based because it just makes so much sense to me. And it's like, here's what you need to know about attachment. And here's how that works. Or here's what's developmentally appropriate to expect of your child. Then you can take that information and then you can become the driver, you know, and you can integrate that information and you can like make it work or not work for you. You can disregard what doesn't work for you. But there is like there is a lot of there's an, there are entire bodies of literature. There's a lot of research in fields related to parenting that are really relevant and really applicable and like parents like need to know things that just give us ammunition. Like just put that gives us tools in our toolboxes to try to use and see mm. if it works for us and jives. Yeah, and I feel like
0: you brought up another really good point there because. For new moms, maybe like yourself, that felt like there wasn't going to be a good parent. And then we go and read the books. So you've got the other side, you've got the people that don't read any of the books and are like, oh my God, I can't figure this out. But they're not educating themselves on how the brain develops and child development and stuff like that, which can be really helpful. I've found in my journey to be really helpful to see, oh, my child's at this stage, this is why she's not getting. X, Y, Z, because her brain isn't developed for that yet, you know? Right. So that's super interesting. And then like you say, you've got the other side where people are reading the books, but they're trying to follow it step by step. And then you get caught in that idea of like, well, this isn't working. And then it starts to create more of this shame and like my child's not doing the right thing or my child's not doing xyz or I'm not a good enough mother or whatever it is so it's finding that balance you know of using the information and the research and also integrating what works for you and your family and that's why parenting is so unique it's the is unique as an art it's not just a
1: skill it's also an art yeah
0: it's like a combination isn't it of like it's as unique as the connection you have with your child. No one else has that bond or that connection and no one else can parent the same as what someone else can parent. So yeah, it's super interesting how we can tend to go down like the extreme (laughs) routes and finding
1: balance. Yeah. The other thing that can happen is if, if Let's say the default around you, let's say within your family or within your you know immediate community or culture is a certain thing. Mm. So let's say, for example, people use a certain kind of discipline or punishment or, or like different accepted methods. And you're like, I'm not doing this, I'm going to do something different. And maybe it's something I've read about in the books, mm-hmm. right? And then either getting the pushback from people around you. And it's like, well, you know, you turned out just fine. Like, you know, like I, for example, I wanted to do baby led weaning with my first son. It was something I had read about in the books. And it also made sense to me because I was like, I'm not like, like I used to feed my younger siblings, like with the purees and the high chair. And I was like, I'm bored. I'm never doing this to my own kid, you know? And then I had my own kid and I was like, okay, I'm doing things differently. And then everyone was like, what are you doing? There's nothing wrong with, you know, buy the jars and buy the spoons and buy the bibs and buy the high chair and just feed them the way you were fed and everyone is fed. Mm. I sent him used to send him to a babysitter and she would like she would like try to puree feed him the puree. She didn't want to give him like I sent him a little lunch box with like little foods. And so I had this all, all this opposition from just because I was going against not even the mainstream, but just like what was accepted or default or the standard around it. So that's the other thing you run into. If you're trying to push back a little and do things differently, like as a small example, like baby led weaning, it's not like a major busting or breaking generational cycles, right? But it gets bigger, obviously, if the issues get bigger. So that's another thing. And it's like standing firm to like, what your intuition is telling you or what you believe or what this is um, versus like the pushback that you might be getting even from like your own mother or your own, maybe your own spouse or your own family members, because you're doing something that's really different. Mm -hmm. And you're saying like, I read about it in a book and they're like, but I raised 10 kids. I raised you, you know, you turn out just fine. Why do you have to do the old new agey? So that's the other thing (laughs) that (laughs) in trying to uh, challenge or change parenting norms that you can come up against.
0: Yeah I think that's interesting how you brought that up because that is something that you face even within friendships as well you know it doesn't have to be immediate family it's also within friendships you might parent different to how your friend parents and or they might see you doing something and think oh that's like I would never try to give my young child like a whole piece of fruit they're gonna choke or and it all comes from our own fears, right? It all comes from our own conditioning. And it's scary for parents who are looking in from the outside because I feel like sometimes it's almost like they're taking offense. They're like, Well, I did a good enough job, or you know, they take it personally. Yeah, it's actually their own stuff. So it's like being able to see that it it's not what you're doing, it is sort of a reflection of how they're feeling on the inside and you know, being able to it doesn't have to be a conflict point. It can be where you're like, I recognize that this is triggering for you. I just want to try it differently. You're not saying you did it wrong you're just saying that this feels more aligned with who I want to be and how I want to show up as a parent, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can be a hard message to internalize, especially I remember as a new mother and I was eventually I hit a certain point where I was just seeing this track record of success with my son. And I was like, he hit like two or three years old. And I was like, okay, well, the things I'm doing have been working. So I'm now confident enough in myself to like disregard all the naysayers. But until then, I was doing like extensive research also just to back myself up. Mm. Like, I would be like, I don't know, maybe they're right. It's true. They, they are older than me. They did raise more kids than me. Maybe they're right. Maybe I'm the crazy one. <laughs> Let me read a little bit more and see if maybe there's some basis in like this technique that I want to try. And I, I had to almost like bolster myself up. And now I'm really confident, but it's a few years in. <laughs> so, definitely at the beginning or when you're first trying to push back against some of those default standards. It's a lot. It could be a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: So you talked before about
0: attachment parent styles. For the listeners that haven't really looked into different parenting styles, would you be able to just unpack that a little bit for us? And what does that kind of mean? What does attachment parent mean versus a different kind of parenting?
1: It's funny because the first book I read when my first son was like a, a baby like a newborn I was like okay I think I have to start reading all the sleeping books but like I don't I feel like the whole sleeping thing and crying to sleep like I, I don't really feel it but I guess I have to do it because I'm a new mother. So the first book I read one of the first books I read was attachment parenting by Dr. Sears which is is not the science of attachment. He has like 7 Bs like that he says is, will make you an attachment parent. And they actually have no connection or correlation to the actual science of attachment. So for example, he says you need to breastfeed and baby wear and bed, like co-sleep and like a bunch of things. And the actual science of attachment is simply responsiveness is the understanding that your child has of your relationship. And so it's basically how much he believes that you will respond to him so in the, especially it's developed primarily in the first two years of life. And especially in the very beginning of life, when you are his entire world, you being the primary caretaker, usually it's the mother, but it's whoever the main adult is. Baby cries out and baby's needs are either met or not met. And then when they are, are not met, they're either met, like maybe they're met promptly, but they're wrong. So you rush to him right away, but he doesn't want the bottle. He wants the diaper, you know, with attunement, with responsiveness. And then he basically understands, is the world a secure place or not? Like, can I trust the world to meet my needs? Because you are my whole world and my needs are or are not being met. And then he basically grows up to, I mean, even in early childhood, like, can I be safe to run off on the playground? Because can I trust that you'll be there when I come back? So this is basically, I mean, in a nutshell, 50 decades of research on attachment. But when we talk about it as a parenting style, and I don't really attribute, I don't really do the whole like labeling different parenting Mm -hmm. styles, but in, in terms of just attachment and parenting, like, for example, there's a lot of typical accepted things that I grew up with that are not attachment, like they contradict what might be a secure attachment. So like when you tell a little kid, like, I'm leaving the store, you better come or I'm leaving you behind. Like that plays on their fear of abandonment. Or when you leave a baby to cry on purpose, like on the clock, and you're like, I'm not going to go to him until two minutes past on the clock, because that's what the book said, right? Talking about listening to books and the baby, baby meanwhile is only a few months old and is trying to communicate even if he's just communicating that he's tired or hungry or lonely and all these typical things are not like attachment focused so that's one way that just understanding the science of attachment and how it works and how it would look in real life gives you again like that ammunition like that tools as a parent to be like are the things that i'm doing now is that a value that i want is it something that Like when I understand how to build a relationship with my child are the things that I'm doing conducive to building that relationship that I want my child to have. And you have to know that this exists in order to know Mm. about it. If you don't know attachment exists and you don't know how it's formed, like I know people who will have a newborn and then hire a nurse, like a night nurse or a day nurse or a full time nurse. And they'll basically leave that newborn with the nurse for the first week or two or three first few weeks while they're busy, you know, with the rest of the kids and if you understood how attachment worked, you wouldn't like farm out your newborn. In other words, it's okay to get help and you need help, you would redistribute that help. Like maybe you would put the older kids with that stranger and you would be with that newborn, Mm. right? So it's just understanding how attachment works. I mean, I think every parent needs to know in order to just parent using what we know about the research in order to, so our children have the best like relationship with us because it's really how they understand their relationships with us. It's not like how closely bonded we feel with them. It's how close they feel to us.
0: Yeah. But
1: we can control that.
0: Yeah. Or we
1: can contribute to that.
0: I love that. And it really sounds like attachment-based parenting is all about regulating that child's nervous system and setting that child's nervous system up for safety. And when a child feels safe, a child can blossom and bloom. And when a child feels unsafe, that's when we start to create these different behaviours and we don't feel safe in the world and we create that trauma. So like you were saying, going back, because that really hit me in the heart because I hate it when this happens, is when people say to their children, You need to leave the park now. Otherwise, I'm leaving without you. Okay, I'm going by if you're not going to come with me. And like you said, that puts their nervous system into a fear response, a fear state, then having abandonment issues. And this stuff gets stuck in the body and it can show up later on in life. You know, if we keep repeating that cycle, it's very fear based, it's not based on what's best for. The child's nervous system, right?
1: Yeah. One thing I would just say though, is that it just like a word of caution or comfort to parents. Like if you do this once or twice, your kid's future is not on the line <laughs> because we are a little bit more resilient than that. But if using that technique, let's say consistently, in addition to let's say other practices that are like not attachment conducive, will paint a whole picture of like, okay, you're not someone like maybe whose presence I can trust on or count on, you know, I'll use it occasionally. And it's like, if I'm at the end of my rope. and like, it works, it works because it's very powerful. It works because it triggers a fear of abandonment. It's not something you should ever use, but like in real life, if you use it once or twice, like it's not ideal, but it's also not going to scar your kid for life in the context of a greater loving, responsive, attuned relationship. And that's something else that the actual research of attachment shows us that like, we're all a lot more resilient. Maybe like parenting coaches on Instagram will have you believe because you can't capture that nuance in like one little Instagram post, but we are more resilient in our relationships. And children are always looking to attach to us and they always want to forgive us and they always want to come close to us. So we always have multiple opportunities to re- repair the rupture. And we're supposed to. Not supposed to it's going to happen anyways we're always going to rupture the relationship by mistake we're not even aware of it or maybe we yelled and lost it one day and we always have the ability to repair that and then when we repair that the relationship becomes so much stronger so if you're allowed to mess up you you do have room to mess up and then if like you're saying if it does get stuck in the body as trauma later it's like I mean, just living as a human being gives you trauma because crossing the street is traumatic. You know, it's, it's a danger to us. And given the tools that like you started saying that attachment soothes or regulates the nervous system, in infants, it literally creates a nervous system because like when a newborn starts crying, they don't know why they're crying. And you come and you say, okay, it's okay, baby, you're hungry. Let me feed you. And they're like, okay, well, now I learned that when I cry, I'm not going to die. I'm just hungry. It's okay. Next time I'll, I'll be able to bear this discomfort for another like millisecond. And they build up frustration and tolerance. Um, So co-regulating with an infant is, an attachment is, totally goes together. And like I said, you have a a little bit more leeway that we're not traumatizing our kids for life, hopefully.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And I think that's a really great message to send out to mamas is that we are going to mess up. And like you say, we can always come back and repair that rupture. Because a lot of women that come to me, you know, they are worried about yelling at their their kids. But a lot of the time I'm like, the conversation is what are you doing after you've had that? And a lot of parents aren't going back and repairing the relationship. They're just ignoring it, feeling bad about themselves and shaming themselves, but not expressing to their child that, okay, mommy shouldn't have threatened to leave you at the park because mommy would never leave you at the park. And there are better ways to communicate and learn new ways to language selves so that kids don't feel this sense of mommy is actually going to leave me at the park, you know? So I feel like, yeah, like you say, it's a really good message to send to parents that, you know, we're going to mess up sometimes and that's okay. As long as we go back and we actually let our child know that that Isn't our intention? You know, we don't mean to yell and shout and get angry or whatever it is that we've done.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's really humbling, and it's like if you were never apologized to as a child, or maybe you you feel that like parents and people in authority are not supposed to apologize. It can be really hard to do that, and it's like we don't want to admit that, like, oh, hey, I messed up. It's very powerful to model it to your child, and it also humbles you. And like the next time you do it, you tell yourself like, it's okay, like you know, it's okay. I'm not a monster. I, I'm I'm just, you know, harried and trying my best. I think we all have to be like a little, a little kinder to ourselves, assuming that we're first doing the best we can, you know what I mean?
0: Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I guess as well, a lot of the time we don't always recognize that within ourselves. So even seeing that and being like, oh, I really messed up there instead of going straight to that blame. It's taken on that real self-responsibility for what was created or the action that was put forward. So, yeah, I feel like it's definitely, like you say, it's humbling to go back to your child and say, oh, sorry, you know, that wasn't... (laughs)
1: It takes a lot of self-awareness. I think that's where the growth really is. Mm. It's not in the. I mean, sometimes the growth happens post-fact. So it's like, oh, hey, I didn't mean to yell at you. I'm sorry. You know, you don't deserve to be yelled at. And then when we exercise that muscle and we get better at it, sometimes we can even catch ourselves in time, mm. and so we can stop ourselves mid-yelling. And then maybe we can even advance to not yelling in the first place. And this is not easy. Like yelling, I mean, replace yelling with whatever. Some people struggle with like physically threatening to hit, even or just threatening. We're actually hitting. Or some people go silent and they do the the silent treatment. So, however, our our own fight flight freezes. Like, however, we take it out on our kid when we send whatever triggers us. When we sense this conflict, but that's really where the growth possible for us as parents is. It's interrupting our this default like habitual response. And then, and sometimes, like I said, it happens post back. So we have to mess up in order to get to it. And then eventually, hopefully we can catch ourselves in the act or even stop ourselves from doing it. And it's like that pause. It's like that moment between like, well, this is what I want to do. And this is what I actually do. And that's the growth available to us as parents or available to us when we've been dealing with our children.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The sacred pools, hey, Mm -hmm. it it takes time and practice to establish, you know? Yeah. I definitely agree with, you know, we have to go through those trials and errors of, actually messing up first so that then we start to repair and then like you said you can stop yourself maybe a little bit earlier each each time but it takes time and it takes practice and yeah so if someone wanted to start understanding more about attachment parenting where would be sort of the best place to start do you think? certain research or book or is there something that you can sort of recommend that you would say yes this gives you a good sort of baseline or foundational teaching?
1: Hard to say I mean I love the work of Gordon Neufeld but it's not fun to read his books are kind of heavy to read and the other thing is that I don't think it's just attachment Mm. because an approach that let's say is just attachment will have you like then people will say okay well the reason your child is acting out is because they're lacking in their connection with you. If only you connected more deeply, your kid wouldn't be behaving that way. And that like totally takes, like it fails to take into account your child's development and their developmental capabilities and all of child psychology, neuroscience, and what we understand about how the child's brain develops and just child development. So like that whole angle, another whole angle is just, Okay, maybe I'm doing attachment focused, and I know what is what I should expect from my child. But then, why do I still blow up every single time they they spill and make a mess? Like, what is it? Like, what is with me? That's the part that I was stuck at for like a long time. Like, I had been doing Montessori parenting before it was cool, like five years ago. And back then, Montessori was only on Facebook. It wasn't on Instagram. Love Every and Monty Kids didn't exist as companies. And I was like doing Montessori parenting. So I had all the respectful parenting down pat and I was saying all the right things. And I was doing all the, I, I knew what to expect for my son who was then like, you know, 18 months or two years old, two and a half years old, whatever. But then why does it still make me so irrationally upset when he refuses to take his nap? Or why do I still feel like I just want to throttle him sometime? And like then, so that there's a whole another piece. And the whole other piece is like the triggers and the nervous system and that, that our childhood wounds and that whole inner work and that whole consciousness element so that's why when you're like, what's one book to read about attachment, like that's the tree, but that's not the whole forest. Like, that's why I also don't like giving labels like attachment parenting because like, well, what about brain-based parenting or what about calling it connection parenting or like consciousness parenting? Like, I think it's, we need to do like all of those angles. And then what about all of those? And then the next level is like, okay, but then how do I feel joy in my motherhood? like maybe i'm doing everything perfectly but then like how to put about myself as like i think that the, all these different angles have to be incorporated or i think they ideally should be incorporated into our parenting today and i mean that's not an easy journey like it's it's a lot but it's it's like seeing the whole forest like i said not just like oh one tree up at this buzzword attachment but like you, you can't just parent your kid out of attachment like you could but like you also have to know like what to expect from your two-year-old, you know
0: oh yeah absolutely i totally agree and you know some programs are willing to do it all. And some programs are just taking small pieces of, like you say, just one tree in the forest and really focusing and honing in on that message. But if someone wanted to start with, you know, getting more intentional with their parenting or parenting more on purpose, what would you say is, where would they start? Like, what do you think is the best sort of place to start with being a more intentional parent?
1: I think one thing you can do like at home right now without having to read a book or follow another, you know, whatever, mommy influencer is see what happens in your daily routine with your kid. And you can look at it a few different ways. You can first of all observe, like what is your child actually doing? Pause for five minutes and just watch them go about their day see what their capabilities might be, see what they're trying. This is more like a Montessori perspective, actually observing the child. Or you might see yourself, like step outside and view yourself as if you were a fly in the wall. And it's like, what's making you upset? And is that rational? Like you're getting pissed off that you're not having a family dinner, but that's at 6 p.m. And like your kids should really already be in pajamas at 6 p.m., let's say. So maybe like, what where is your day not going smoothly maybe? Or where is something that you're holding on to and you're fighting about that's maybe not serving your family. So like you're fighting on this point of like, I don't know, you have to finish your whole plate or something. And it's like, where does that message come from? Is that actually a value that you have? Or is that a message that you're just repeating because you grew up that kids have to finish their plates and you spent a lot of time and money making lunch and you're upset that they're not eating your lunch. And so it's like taking a, a step back and taking a pause back And like I said, in like one of two ways, like either actually observing your child, like objectively, like, what is your kid doing? Like, what is your kid doing? Imagine if you were like a preschool teacher and had to write a report on your child and actually see them out of the eyes of not just like, take a moment and like, you're busy, like trying to get the kids alive for another day routine. And like, what is your child actually doing? Like, look at the little genius that they're doing. Like, what are they, what is their brain doing? What are their hands doing? That's one angle. And another angle is what, what am I as a parent? Like, what's getting me upset? What's not working for me? What am I holding on to? What is this belief that I'm trying to push that maybe I need to get rid of? What is something that I'm feeling anxious about? Like, what are you stressed out about? Your baby's nap routines, because the book said so. Your baby's bottle routines, how much ounces they're taking out of the bottle. Like, what is stressing you Mm -hmm. out? It's finding this moment of consciousness of like, what am I doing by default? Maybe I didn't put too much thought or effort into it. and I'm just doing it because like, I'm supposed to. Like I always (laughs) say this example of like, I don't use baby containers. And that's like the swing or the jumper or the exercizer. And like, it's not going to kill your baby if you use it. But people like their baby turns six months and they go on Amazon, like, best toy for six month old. And Amazon tells them to buy a swing or like an exercizer. So then they buy it. Like, when your baby turns six months, you don't have to buy them a doorway jumper or an exercizer. I don't know if you call it something else in America, it's an exercizer. Right. Like, you don't have. Buy that just because Amazon recommends it. You don't have to feed your baby puree on a spoon just because that's what the store is selling. And it's not because something bad will happen to your kid if you do that. It's just because you get to decide to do things differently because you're the parent right now, and you get to decide if you want to do things this way in your house. And you also get to decide if the way something is is not working for you. You get to do it differently. So I are like the first step to parenting with like like a little bit more on purpose, a little bit more consciously. It's like. What are you maybe doing by default that maybe it's not working for you, or maybe it is working for you, but it's tiring to do it. Like I used to use a baby bathtub and it worked just fine, but I had to fold it up, take it out, hang it out, dry it. Like, and then I, one day I was like, why am I using this? I can just put the baby straight into the regular bathtub with like an inch of water and I can get rid of that baby bathtub. So like, what are you doing that? Like you don't need to be doing. That's like one way of just looking at it. Like either what can you simplify? What is making you upset? What is not working for your family? What are you doing just because you think you're supposed to be doing it? Um, Or even just like, what is your child capable of? Like you might think like, oh my God, I can't let my child touch the food processor because that's officially dangerous for them. But actually, if you were like juicing oranges and your kid is trying to help you juice the oranges and you used it on a low speed and your kid is already, you know, 18 months old, like, actually, they could put their hand over your hand, and they could help you use the orange. Mm. Like we think like, oh my God, kids can't use, use knives, but actually they could use a plastic knife and, you know, they could peel an orange, let's say like they, that's like, again, more of a monastery angle. It's like, we think that like, oh, they're not able to do certain things. Like, but that's a preconceived notion. What are you, what is your actual child with your own eyes? Like, what are they actually doing that you can, this is like, something you can do at home. I can do it right now. What is my kid doing right now? What is bothering me about my routine? What is not going smoothly for me? What is something I'm doing only because I think I'm supposed to be doing it? Maybe Amazon told me I'm supposed to be doing it or the website told me I'm supposed to be doing it. And again, none of these are maybe bad. It's just like you get to choose. You get to choose if it is working for you, if it's not working for you. You want to do things differently. If you don't like the way it's going... I think that like level of like opening your eyes, like that level of awareness is the first step to deciding how you want to show up as a parent. Yeah. Some people come from it more as like, oh my God, I'm never going to be the kind of parent my parents was, like my parents were, I'm going to do things completely differently. So some people come into it knowing for whatever reason that they're going to be different.
0: Yeah, okay, cool. So I feel what I'm hearing you say is kind of, it starts with you first. Like it starts by looking at, What's not working for you and your child, and what's triggering you to feel unhappy as a mother, or like you're not connecting to that joy in motherhood? So it kind of just starts with looking at your own internal world first and seeing like where you're at, and then moving forward um, from there. And another thing that you said is, you know, knowing your values knowing what you value and if that's a borrowed value or if it's actually your value that something that's important to you you know you're not just doing it because that's how your mom did it or that's how you grew up or that's what your friends are doing or what amazon says or the expert in the book says or whatever it's like looking at what's your values and how does that feel for you so yeah, I feel like that's an important message as well. And it's a good place to start is starting really at the core of what's important to you and noticing that. Okay. So we're going to start to wrap up now. But what is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned on your motherhood journey, either from motherhood or from your kids? What's one of your biggest lessons that you'd like to share your little golden nugget of wisdom you'd like to share with the listeners?
1: You know, you prepared me for this question, and I still don't know if I have an answer. But I have three sons, and my oldest one is the one that triggered the most in me because he was the first. After that, I'm like, whatever, you know, I got it. But he's always the one like pushing me, and I feel like I grew up together with him. You know, my own inner child grows up together with him. He really also challenges me to maybe the things that I, I think are so important are, are really not like, maybe it's not such a big deal if like, we actually don't go to bed on time tonight and we spend an extra five minutes like giggling or running around together instead. And I also like coming back to the, I think the first thing I said was that I had this sense in me that like, I didn't know, like I, I wouldn't be good at motherhood. Like it entails something mythical and magical and I didn't have it in me. And something that I'm really learning, and it's probably an ongoing lesson, is really finding myself within motherhood, not like despite it or not in spite of it, or not losing myself to motherhood, but almost like emerging as the butterfly at the other end of it. I'm a totally different person. Mm. And it it forced a transformation on me that I actually fought tooth and nail. (laughs) and I didn't. It didn't go down gracefully <laughs> and I was terrified to become a mother and I really resisted it. You know, I was just like, it was very hard for me. And it's a lesson that I'm slowly, you know, each child and each birth brought me maybe closer along this journey, but really finding myself like within motherhood and Maybe this is the person I was always supposed to be. And the the, the mirrors that they hold up to me, you know, of, of all my issues and the ways that I try to show up for them differently is the ongoing lesson, I guess, of of having kids or of being a mother. Mm. Like they they force you, even if you don't want to. Yeah. They force you to, to really do the work.
0: Yeah. And I feel like that's really... It's such an important message and it's kind of the core of my message. And I feel like a lot of people who've come on the podcast already, I don't know if you've listened to any of the other podcast episodes, but they they all say really a similar thing. And you know, that it's this idea that, you know, our children are our greatest teachers and they're our greatest healers. And they just really reflect back to us what it is that we need to heal, you know, our catalyst for that growth, change and transformation. Mm. So yeah, it's so beautiful. And Mishka, if people want to follow you or get to know you more or connect with you, how can,
1: they, how can they do that? I'm on Instagram as Mothering Mindset. I have a podcast called The Mothering Mindset Show. I send out an email newsletter. And so that's on my site, mymotheringmindset.com. Mm-hmm. I have a program. It'll probably be on waitlist. But if people are interested, it's actually you started saying that there is no book that comes with motherhood. And I decided to make the book. (laughs) So I wrote, I mean, it's not a book, but it's a course Mm. called A Motherhood Manual. And it includes like all those aspects that I talked about, like also attachment, but also development and also the consciousness or the inner work and also an introduction or an exploration of matrescence, which is our own motherhood identity. And all the things that I think that first time mothers need to know. Mm. I've had women take it who were not first time mothers and their oldest children were 10 years old or older and they had multiple kids. But it's all the things that like, it's not diapering and it's not feeding, like it's actual a motherhood manual. Like the things that, that we need to know as mothers, and like we deserve to know as mothers, but like maybe no one told you. So I made that into a course and that's my, that's currently my signature program.
0: Beautiful.
1: Might not be open for enrollment. We'll have the waitlist open. And I think that like, because there, there isn't one way, there isn't one way. There are multiple ways We're all unique people and our children are all unique, but there is a pretty good like toolbox or there are pretty good principles that you can mix and match, or you can whip one out, or you should just know that they exist and be aware of them and to help you along your mothery journey. So that's it. Awesome. (laughs) No one wants to connect, I'm always
0: happy. Okay, cool. And I'll put all these details in the show notes for everyone anyway. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming and sharing your knowledge and wisdom. And yeah, namaste. Thank you for having me. No worries. So if you enjoyed the show today, please feel free to reach out to either me on socials or Mushka on socials and let us know what was your biggest takeaway. And remember to like and subscribe to the podcast, leave a review on the podcast that you listen to and let us know how you went with it. And chat soon. Thank you for listening. Namaste.